You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Lowdown. I'm your host, Bill Bymel. On today's episode, we continue our conversation with Camille Holmesy. Camille is the CEO and co-founder of GRC Investment Group. This is a Dubai-based family office. They represent one of the royal families of that region, making investments on a global in every country or multiple countries around the globe. And really a gentleman that has a you know good perspective on macroeconomics. I always talk to him about macroeconomics and how it affects real estate. Last week's episode was the was a portion of this same conversation, a different portion in which we really got into you know what what the effects of rising interest rates will be on real estate. And today, what you're going to hear is something more to the tune of where, what inflation means. What does it mean on a global level? How should we look at it? What are some new interesting perspectives, you know, given the fact that we're, you know, kind of in a bubble here in the U.S. and really kind of where we stand on the precipice is, are we on the precipice of, of a major shift in New, in the world order. And I, I say this, you know, I mean, it can sound kind of like, Hey, a major shift in the world order, but you know, the whole idea of the wit of this real estate lowdown podcast is to stay on the cutting edge of where market economies, the real estate industry, mortgage finance industry, capital markets and investors in, in where, where the world is going. I find it to be a fascinating thing. And if you like what you've heard on this episode or any of our podcast episodes, I hope you'll click subscribe and, and download us on a weekly basis into your ears. The great news for my audience is that I will be fully dedicating my time to the podcast world. We're going to cut down the number of webinars we do in 2023. And, you know, we're really here with the intention to create an encyclopedia of real estate and mortgage finance, along with a fine collection of interviews from, you know, just interesting people. It doesn't have to be the guy that runs the sovereign wealth office. It doesn't have to be a king or queen, although we will have some interviews with some very powerful, very unique people. What I, I find everyone to be unique. And so that's why you'll see me having interviews with your average person that maybe is new to the real estate business. The idea being we all have a voice and a perspective and we can all learn something from everyone. So if you like what you hear, don't forget to click subscribe. And here's a portion of my interview with Camille Holmesy right now. Well, it's great to have you here, Camille. And, you know, with that, the reason I was excited, most excited was last time we had you, I think it was, I don't know if it was the last time you were on a webinar, but it was about seven months ago. It was the April. It must've been when you were on our last on our webinar. You actually said to me that November will mark a turning point in where geopolitics is forming globally and where, you know, where the, like there's a real transition and clarity as to where the world might be headed, you know, in terms of China, Russia, Taiwan. Tell us first, what you were thinking in terms of that prediction, and then tell us 
where you see the world in terms of a geopolitical perspective right now. Yeah, you're rehashing good memories. I th- <laughs> you're right. It was uh, middle of April. It was right a few weeks after the war started in, in Ukraine. And I started that day by saying that war could have been avoided. Yeah. But due to lack of leadership in the among the NATO, Washington, Russia, and Ukraine, that war has not been contained. And then I called it a proxy war. Until today, we see that it is a proxy war. I called it a war that will be protracted. And today we are in the seventh month and going on eighth. And right. there is a formula in war history that says if a war, if a war lasts six months and more, the high probability it will last for more than six months and for many six months to come. And I did that. They say that that war will end a friendship and neighborhood ship, a family between Russians and Ukrainians for many, many years to come. I also predicted that the Europeans will be the biggest losers. And today we do see this. I predicted that during that conversation, which you still have it on YouTube, that sanctions will be fractured and they will fall apart. I don't care where the Europeans are going to replace whatever they buy from Russia and Ukraine. The new cost due to the rising cost of fuel and due to non-proximity with those new suppliers is, is not, is going to create a situation where Europeans, many countries cannot afford the new supplies that will come in. Shortage of gas coming from Algeria or coming from another Middle Eastern nation is going to be a lot more costly. Already the Europeans are complaining that the United States now that promised to fulfill that void will be charging them three, four folds more than how much they were paying Russia and Ukraine prior to the inception of the conflict. I also predicted that the the midterm election, which happened to be today, America will be a turning point. In November, the Communist Party of China will convene to discuss a new term for President Xi or for a someone, a successor. And we all know that President Xi was awarded or extended another five years, which is the term in their country. He does have opposition, but again, he is becoming now an, a unanimous in the in ruling the country. And we know that since February 22nd, China has been sympathetic with Russia. They Everybody knows that they are deeply, deeply trade partners and in full trade and military relation. We also, I mean, among other predictions, I did make a half prediction about Boris Johnson, if you remember. <laughs> I said he has the lowest rating among prime ministers since the Second World War, but I did not say he would resign. Right, and, and yeah, nor, did, nor that his replacement would last a week. <laughs> I mean, today, my prediction for the records, I expect there will be a conversation about England asking to rejoin the European Union. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a very, very interesting I'll, that you say I'll that. I'll stop here because I don't want the audience to think I have a crystal ball. But you know what? You, you, you <laughs> use your common sense. And those are all... And that's all very true. I'd like to, and the reason that we, I always want to bring geopolitics and the global economy into things is 
A, to add perspective to those of us that only operate inside the United States, you know, especially those that complain about the bed that we live in or the house that we've built. When, you know, when you look at it comparative to other places in the universe or in the world, you know, we got it pretty good. And two, I think that obviously the global economy and geopolitics play a role in what will happen here in the United States. And like, for instance, we know that inflation is bad. It's become bad. It was originally deemed transitory. It obviously wasn't. We're not not surprised, right? We, we you know, we've been screaming from the rafters for years now since the creation of the CARES Act and the helicoptering of three to five trillion dollars of newly printed money that this was the risk that we were facing. But it's not just America that has an inflationary problem, right? Where, How are you seeing that play out? You have investments in multiple countries around the world. Talk about, A, what has caused inflation to grow out of control, not only here in the U.S., but also how is it, you know, how is that playing out elsewhere and what countries are most effective? Because you're right, Europe's having just having its own problems, right? Big problems, big problems in Europe. I really feel bad for where they're going. And uh, later on in this conversation, we probably, if we ever have time to touch on sanctions, I'm going to show also to, to expand on the state of the sanctions in Europe. It is really painful for the people there, Bill, because they are not used to it. You know, since the Second World War, they had water, they had electricity, they had trains, buses, highways, bridges, hospitals, vacations. But all that now is now shrinking back to austerity. Are they are they accustomed to live on a candle? Are they accustomed to give you an example? Two days ago, two or three days ago, the government of France, they banned all flights that can be reached by less than two and a half hours drive. Wow. Yes, I did yes. not know that. In in France, I think that was on Friday, from what I read. So this is just one one small example of a lot that is happening in Europe. Unfortunately, yeah. here in the states, we don't get the full picture. You know, here we're more looking into Halloween and into uh, Prince Harry and into football now. That's great, but that's not the global picture. No, absolutely. Inflation, inflation right. is not always bad. You know, when when Richard Nixon administration in 1971. And his, you know, team of financiers turned turned the world from gold reserve to U.S. dollar reserve supported by the United States economy. The population of the world was 4.3 billion. Today, it's doubled that. Mm-hmm. You cannot have a doubled economy and then with a lot of new countries have new demands. In 1971, China did not demand the same amount of electricity and highways and cars and and energy. India, the same way. India did not even have middle class at the time. They had rich and they had poor. And in China, there was poor and poor and poor. Many (laughs) other countries. So the demand does create inflation. But that's what we call one of three, which we call it the, the slow inflation. And that's why here in this country, the feds and the various successive administration, they were targeting the 2%, which we Mm -hmm. always knew. You negotiate Mm -hmm. a real estate lease, there will be a covenant that says CPI. How much was the CPI? Even even high schooler will say 2%. Okay, 
even though it was not 2%. Right. Now, just for people to know, CPI was created in 1921 by the administration of President Woodrow Wilson. Hmm. At the time, again, is to kind of start putting some control on the finance of the United States economy. While the alternative today that is being used, which is the CPE, which is the consumer purchase expenditure, assumption expenditure has, you know, was, was create, was created in 1959, but did not put to use by the feds until 2012. That measures the valuation of the different purchases of the consumers. Now, most economists disagree with the calculation of the CPI. Why? Because that basket, that basket has been altered several times. Okay. Now, governments or the administration that is in charge of the fiscal policy, they claim that, oh, because some commodity is no longer used. So what do you mean? I mean, in it, in it, there is energy, there is clothing, there is eggs, there is milk, there is coffee, and there is automobiles, and there is then appliances and you know hard assets. Well, the economists say the fluctuation of prices between commodities and hard assets is not the same. Assets fluctuate slower than food, energy and other items in the basket. So there has been always a debate on the validity of the CPI. I leave the audience with this, and all that is to be discussed. They're welcome to reach out to me, or yeah. maybe meet in the future, in the future webinars. The, the inflation is a result of imbalance between supply and demand. And we cannot put all the blames on, on government, Right. which in charge of the fiscal policy or on the feds who are in charge of the monetary policy. Don't forget, there was an outsider that came in in March of 2020. Right. And his name, his name was COVID-19. Right. COVID, came in, COVID came in and the government had no clue nor experience. Not even you and I. We didn't know what to do. You right. know, they said, stay home, we stayed home. Right. Don't go to work. We will print money. We will pay you not to work. We will pay you unemployment. We will give you the PPP programs. We will give you forgiven loans. Just right. keep your employees paid, you know, and do not work. Now, during that period, the population stopped, but also the factories stopped. We know that dealerships of automobiles stopped. So there were no cars produced. Some people say it's because of the semiconductors. Well, semiconductors was one of the reasons, and it did not impact every brand. Here in the mm -hmm. United States, only Ford and GM were most impacted because their semiconductors come from abroad. Mm. But for those who do not know, United States produced 10% of the world's semiconductors. And mm -hmm. the leaders remain Taiwan. But we come like number seven, eight in production. Now we're trying to catch up and to become sure. independent. But again, that's another conversation. So that created a lot of uh, handling the COVID with the stimulus, right. with the printing trillions of dollars, created so much liquidity while, yeah. while there was no productivity. So that will definitely create the, the inflation. The imbalance, yeah. At the same time, at the same time bad policy that started by declaring war on fossil fuel. Now, fossil fuel is everything we do. 
Even the computers that today you and I are using as a medium to see each other, okay? They are, you know, through electricity that is generated in most right. cases by, by, by fossil fuels. By fossil yeah. fuel. Yeah, it's so a great. You raise the price of fossil fuel by raising the demand for it. Here, the United States was independently independent when it comes to energy, going back to become an importer. Mm-hmm. Now, I always recommend do not fight fossil fuel, but increase investment into clean energy until a point where sustainable energy become affordable and also scalable. Because right. even, I mean, to become affordable and scalable, it's going to still take many years to come. Regardless of how many EV automobiles do, and now we're talking about autonomous, do, autonomous yeah. EV and about trucks and the trains and even even airplanes. I don't know if I want to be flying in an airplane. That <laughs> uh, autonomous? Airplane. I don't know about oh, that. Oh, you ran out. <laughs> you, know, you cannot run out. <laughs> That's funny. So, you know, uh, and, and here in California, they're talking about trying to phase out gas engine automobiles in the next couple of years. 2025. Yeah. And yet I was actually gone this weekend, but my house, which is in Beverly Hills, suffered a 12 hour blackout on Saturday night. You know, so from 10 a 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Sunday morning, there is no power. And this is like the second of a rolling blackout that we've had here in L.A. just in the last month. You had, so you had a romantic night on candles. <laughs> My daughter did. I was in Dallas. <laughs> she was a little freaked out. She had a romantic night with the dog. Yeah, I think <laughs> those states that are calling themselves green, even though I support because as an yeah. investor, in, investor in renewable energy and definitely an advocate for ESG principles, for sure. but sure. also sure. there is a sense of reality. Let's reality. be realistic. What can I do and what I can do in due time? Right. And renewable energy is work in progress. We do not, you know, like when, when I contended to a German parliament member from the Bundestag on a panel in Germany earlier this year, when he said 10% of every car in Germany in 2030 will be EV. So I said to him, do you have, do you have the grid that can support that? Okay. Yeah. And do you know how many megawatts do you need? He didn't have his data. What did he say to me? He said to me what we all learned in school. Tell your audience, I will get back to you. I bet it leaves you wanting more to hear Camille Holmesy and I talk. I find his our conversations to be fascinating. We at the at, at my company, First Lean Capital, you know, we are investment managers in the distressed real estate space. But quite often when you hear distressed real estate space, you think, oh, homes and properties that have, you know, missing roofs or, you know, that are abandoned, that are disheveled. No, a lot of what we do is go after quality real estate that we can buy from distressed sellers. And and that has been very profitable for us. And the inflation and the rise in interest rates it is creating an extreme stress in the banking and private equity worlds right now. There are highly leveraged investors that are not ready for what inflation brings in terms of valuation degradation, in terms of a slowdown in the economy, in terms of the cost to carry these properties that many investors are are, are dealing with. We are going to see 
as Larry Summers says, a top-down meltdown starting in 2023. And, you know, for guys like me, that's just great because I run a fund, firstleancapital.com. We are just opened our second fund to accredited investors, and we are in the perfect place, perfect time to take advantage of all the stress that we're already seeing and already taking advantage of, but which we see will continue on a pretty significant level the into the next year, 2023, 2024, and beyond. I hope you've liked what you heard. Don't forget to subscribe. You can find me on the web at billbymel.com or you can look up our company, firstleancapital.com. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Real Estate Lowdown. I'm Bill Bymel. Have a great day. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.